Um, the scripture reading uh, today uh, comes from Genesis chapter 22, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And this is God's word. Morning, everybody. We are continuing our sermon series, our Advent series, uh, that we're calling uh, The Fathers of Jesus. And last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, and we saw um, the coming of sin, uh, the existence of sin, the results of sin, the consequences of sin. And so throughout this, these, this series, we're actually going to look at uh, prominent figures all throughout the Old Testament that tell a foretelling and a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. And so today, we come to Genesis chapter 22, where we come to a passage that is, is pretty uncomfortable to read. Whether it's your first or your hundredth time reading this passage, there's something about this passage that doesn't sit well with any of us. We have challenges and questions that come to mind as soon as we get done reading this text. Could God be so cruel? Why is this story in the Bible? Why would God, if he's good, if he's righteous, if he's faithful, why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice and offer his son Isaac? In fact, isn't Isaac the promise of God that he gave to Abraham? That Abraham would come and bless Abraham and bless the entire world? What is God doing here? This passage isn't just challenging to us theologically or philosophically, but it's, it's challenging to us in a practical sense. 
how do we take in this passage and actually apply what it's teaching us every day? The story of Abraham offering up his son Isaac isn't about the cruelty of God because God isn't cruel. It's not about the evilness of God because God isn't evil. It's also not a story about one man's faithfulness and how righteous he is through his obedience and his faithfulness. In fact, if we know anything about Abraham, we know that Abraham isn't righteous. Abraham's a sinner. Abraham tried to pimp off his wife to Pharaoh earlier in Genesis. He also slept with his wife's servant. Clearly, the Bible and this passage is not teaching us to be more like Abraham, be faithful like Abraham, or be obedient like Abraham. No, clearly, God has a deeper intent and a deeper meaning than just being like Abraham. So today, we're going to look at three things from this passage and learn three things about this passage, although you can learn far more than just three things from this passage. We're going to look at God's call to Abraham. What does God call us to do? We're going to look at Abraham's response. How should we respond to God's calling? And third, we're going to look at God's faithfulness. How does God reveal his faithfulness to Abraham? How does he reveal his faithfulness to us? First, God's call to Abraham, the truth about God's calling. What's happening at the start of this passage? God calls Abraham and he says to him, go, go, take your beloved and only son up the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to offer him as a living sacrifice. And in a lot of ways, Genesis 22 mirrors the calling that Abraham received in Genesis 12. What happened in Genesis 12? Abraham was in his home, in his country, and God comes to Abraham and he calls Abraham to leave his home, leave his country, leave his land. And essentially what God was saying to Abraham, I want you to leave your comfort. I want you to leave your, your protection. And I want you to leave your security because I'll give you a greater comfort. I'll give you a greater protection and a greater security. And so he tells Abraham to go to an unknown place Abraham had no idea where he was going. He had no idea what his life would look like. And here in Genesis chapter 22, we see something very similar. God goes to Abraham. He calls him and he says, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to offer up your beloved son, your hope, your joy, your sense of worth and significance. I want you to go to a place unknown somewhere in the region of Moriah, but go to the mountain in that region that I tell you to go to. Do You see the common themes here between those two passages? And so God calls Abraham to do something that is incredibly hard, something that we could never really think that we could do ourselves. But why would God call Abraham to give up his son if he promised Abraham that his son would be a blessing to the world? Why would God call Abraham to offer up something good, something that Abraham treasured, something that was so dear to his heart? Abraham was 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was in her 90s by the time Isaac was born. 
And so they waited their entire lives to receive this promise from God. And in an instant, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to take it away. We see something very eye-opening about God's calling. God's calling to us isn't finding purpose in our careers. It's not finding purpose in our relationships or finding significance in our significant others. God's calling is about a relationship. And it's challenging the foundations and the cornerstone of your lives. And it shows you the vulnerability of those things. That although we build our lives off of our careers, off of our pedigrees, our resumes, the things that we think will bring us a sense of significance, God tells us that I have something greater. These things aren't enough. They're not enough to bring you true comfort and true peace. They're not enough to, to make your life feel stable. And in fact, when we look at all these things, our careers, our relationships, our families, the things that we love the most, they're the things that bring us the most anxiety, the most fear, the most discomfort. Because if these things don't go according to our plan, we're in ruins. And so Abraham knows the truths and the realities of who he is and who God is. Abraham knows that God is the creator of the universe. And he has power, and so he's the owner of all things. And at the same time, Abraham knows God is deeply personal and intimate, that God came down from the heavens, down to earth, to form mankind from the dust on the ground and breathe life into man, giving them life. But Abraham also knows the story of Genesis 3, that sin had entered into the world, causing a cosmic gap between God and mankind. And so he knows that a sacrifice and an offering is necessary in order for that gap to close. And he knows that he owes obedience to God. Do you know what's so terrifying about this passage in Genesis 22? It's not that God is calling Abraham to kill his son. In fact, God never says to Abraham, I want you to kill your son. I want you to murder your son, the promise that I gave you. He uses the word sacrifice. And when you look at that word sacrifice, it also means to offer up or to give up that which is owed. And so what God is saying to Abraham, I want you to offer your son. I want you to give up your heart and your hope and your joy and find it in me. So here in this passage... Abraham is being called by God and really being rocked at the core of who he is. That he had hope, that he found lasting joy in his son Isaac. And yet God is asking him, not, is telling him to offer him up. And so Abraham is experiencing tremendous hardship and suffering and despair. It teaches us that God's calling actually comes with hardship. It comes with suffering. That doesn't mean that all hardship and all suffering is from God's calling. Sometimes 
will experience tremendous suffering that's apart from God's calling. And yet what that really tells us is the existence of suffering affirms the reality of sin in our lives. It affirms the reality that our lives are broken. The world that we are in is broken. It's shattered. We're broken from the people that we're in relationship with and we're broken apart from the God that created us. And so Abraham being called by God teaches us that calling is deeply personal and it challenges the core of our foundations and our hearts. So what does Abraham do once he's called by God? Abraham, he responds by doing the hardest thing he ever had to do in his life. This leads us to our second point, Abraham's response to God's call. How should we respond to God's call? How does Abraham respond to God? In verse three, it continues on the story. And it says that Abraham immediately gets up in the next morning, he saddles up his donkey, he takes his son Isaac and the wood and the fire and the knife and lays it on top of his son. He brings his two servants on his way to the region of Moriah, to the mountain that God is leading him to go to. We see that Abraham immediately gets up. He's immediately moving towards the very direction that God is telling him to go. And so we're seeing a few things that we should consider when it comes to responding to God's call in our lives. One, there's knowing versus how we feel. What we know versus how we feel. Clearly, Abraham was not feeling good about what God is calling him to do. There wasn't any pleasure that Abraham took when God called him to take his son and to give him up as a sacrifice for a burnt offering. There was nothing that made him feel at peace about what God was asking him to do. There was nothing comforting about what God was calling him to do. And yet, Abraham didn't respond based off of how he felt, but what he knew. Abraham knew on one hand that God is holy, he's just, he's righteous. And at the same time, he knew that God was merciful, that he's gracious, loving, kind, and compassionate. But that's all he knew. He didn't know how God would provide for him after going up the mountain. He just trusted in what he knew. You know, today in our generation, you know, we, when we look at our lives and we see where we spend our time or the commitments that we're invested in, oftentimes, if we're being honest with ourselves, these things make us feel good. Building a career, making income, buying homes, getting married, building a family, all these things are good things. They also make us feel good about ourselves. Even in our relationships and how we relate with one another, the way that we like to be affirmed by people, approved by people, find significance from other people, they make us feel good about who we are. And oftentimes, we build our lives 
and make our lives to make us feel good about who we are. And yet clearly Abraham here is not living his life based off of how he feels, but what he knows. Another thing to consider when it comes to responding to God's call is owning or ownership. We see that Abraham takes his son Isaac. He brings all the materials he needs for the burnt offering, but he also brings along two servants. And we have to remember that during this time, Abraham's servants most likely weren't just house workers. Most likely, they were Abraham's best friends. That these servants probably spent the most intimate and personal time with Abraham in his life and throughout his journey. And so clearly, this passage is teaching us that friendships and relationships are very important. That amidst suffering and hardship, it's important to have the presence of people around you. But at the same time, it's also teaching us that we ourselves have to take ownership of God's call. Because what does Abraham say? He looks to his servants and he says, wait here. I am going up the mountain with my son to worship God. And when we're finished, we'll come back down. And so Abraham is taking ownership and responsibility for what God called him to do. We can't surround ourselves with faithful people and think that that makes us faithful. We can't surround ourselves around fruitful people and think to ourselves that this is what makes me fruitful because I'm in with the fruitful people. But the reality is, when God calls us, he, t- he calls us to take it in what he's saying. When he challenges the foundations and the things that we stand on, it's not for other people. It's for you. And so Abraham owns up to God's calling. Thirdly, Abraham is going. He doesn't just sit there and process. He doesn't go to the mountain and arrive to the region of Moriah and sits by the mountainside and wait for God to change his mind. Or he doesn't debate himself thinking what the right thing is and how he's actually going to do it. Abraham is actually moving with his feet. He's not just moving with his thoughts and processing things. You do have to think and you do have to process, but you also have to move. You also have to go. In the epistle of James, the apostle James actually refers to this story, or refers to Abraham in in chapter 2. And it's the portion of his letter that he is writing to sleepy Christians. And he says the phrase, faith without works is dead. And it's it's really, even James 2 is a hard passage to really take in. Because we're taught that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so it's only by grace that you're saved. But what James is actually saying is, if you truly have a grace and faith that's been given to you through Christ, 
If that is something real and genuine in your life today, then you'll be faithful. You'll be obedient. You'll be fruitful. We learn here in Genesis chapter 22 that a response to God's calling isn't about how we feel, it's what we know. It's about taking ownership in a personal call that God has given us. And it's actively moving and going, not just sitting around pondering and processing and thinking about what you need to do next. He's called you and told you what to do. Are you listening to God's call in your life? After Abraham and Isaac arrive at the mountain, the story in Genesis 22 actually slows down a little bit. It slows down and it's almost like the author is trying to tell us, pay attention to what's about to come. And we start to see a dialogue between Abraham the father and Isaac the son. And this dialogue between Abraham and Isaac is actually the only place in the Bible where we see a dialogue occur between Abraham and Isaac. And so it must be important. And so on their journey up the mountain, Isaac says, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where is the lamb? And Abraham looks to his son, and he says, son, God will provide. And that word provide in the Hebrew is ra'ah, and ra'ah actually means to see. So how does the word provide and see actually relate with one another? What Abraham is actually saying to his son Isaac is, Isaac, I see you, and I know you see me. And I know right now we can't see how the Lord will provide. But God will see to it that a lamb will be present and available for the sacrifice. This leads us to our last and final point. God's faithfulness to Abraham. How does God show his faithfulness to Abraham? How does he show his faithfulness to us? It's through a sacrifice. When Abraham and, and Isaac reached the top of the mountain, all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord speaks down from heaven to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't touch the boy. Don't lay a hand on the boy. And he says, don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God that you would not withhold your only beloved son from me. Anytime the angel of the Lord is mentioned in the Old Testament, that, that word Lord is Yahweh, and Yahweh is used for the first time here in this passage in Genesis 22. Scripture is showing us that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus coming to Abraham and telling Abraham to stop. And so when Abraham looks up after he hears the voice of Jesus, he sees a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And immediately he grabs that ram and he uses it as the burnt offering and the sacrifice. 
And from that day, Abraham called that mountain the mountain where the Lord provided. This gives us a foretelling and a foreshadowing of what would come. We celebrate Advent as a church, the coming of our King, but he also came as our Savior and our substitute. God provided a ram so that Isaac could live. And in this story, it says that Isaac was traveling and journeying up with his father, Abraham. And Abraham laid on top of him the knife and the wood that would be used for the sacrifice. That word wood in the Hebrew is, is eights. And anytime we see that word in the Old Testament, it refers to the judgment and wrath of God. And so Abraham and his son Isaac are being carried up this mountain with the judgment and wrath of God about to pour on them. And when they get to the top of the mountain, God provides a substitute for Isaac, a ram that was substituting Isaac's death so that Isaac could live. Centuries later, there'll be another sacrifice that comes, that Jesus would climb up this mountain, the mountain of Calvary, with the cross, the wood, the judgment, and the wrath of God. And there he would be nailed to the cross. There was no substitute for Jesus. But in fact, Jesus was our substitute. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus was the greater lamb, the perfect lamb, the unblemished lamb, so that we could be given new life. He lost access to God the Father. And on the cross, he screams out, Again, something similar to what he screamed out in Genesis 12. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Genesis 22, Jesus yells to Abraham, 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 don't touch the boy. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lost the presence of God the Father so that we can gain the presence of God the Father. Abraham knew the sin debt that was necessary in order for that cosmic gap between God and mankind to be closed. And yet Abraham's faithfulness was not enough. It wasn't enough to close that gap, to reconcile our relationship with God. And yet God, out of his faithfulness, out of his Goodness, his grace, and his abounding love provided another sacrifice, a better sacrifice. How is God both holy and just, and at the same time, merciful and gracious? It's at the cross where God pours down his judgment and wrath on his own son, so that we would be forgiven, so that we would have a salvation that belongs to him, so that we would be redeemed. That's the grace. That's the love and kindness and mercy and compassion shown to us. Our word of encouragement came from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have 
eternal life. How do we become a faithful and obedient people? It's not to be more like Abraham. In fact, it's not even just be more like Jesus. It's trusting and knowing the faithful and obedience of Jesus and also his life and sacrifice and death and the cosmic penalty that he paid for you. One of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, um, put it beautifully. He, he actually said, if Abraham was at Calvary and he could see Jesus on the cross, he would cry out to Jesus and say something very similar that Jesus said to him. He would say, now I know God's love, for he has not withheld his one and only beloved son from me. Will you now know God's love, that he did not withhold his one and only son, Jesus, for you? Let's pray.